Today is Memorial Day, and we're going to uh, reflect. There's times, even in the Scripture, where God uh, wanted everybody to come to a solemn gathering. Now, I'm not here to defend everyone's actions, including my own. We're all sinners. We're all born into sin, and we all need a savior but we've had a lot of people over the years some many before we ever were arrived who have died to defend freedom religious freedom if you want to call it that and a lot of the things that we have in this country America is not perfect you know why because nobody who lives in it is the world's not perfect the world has been marred and stained with sin. Everything God intended in this life has kind of backfired because of sin. So now we seek out a Savior. And I'm thankful to be in America. I mean, you and I could have been dispatched anywhere by the Lord. I'm thankful that men and women have died to secure a nation like we have. The only nation that comes close to being as blessed as Israel is the one you and I are living in. Israel certainly had all the oracles and all the things. They were adorned with the things of God. But you and I live in a nation where we can still get up, make our way to church, and have the ability to worship God freely. And a lot of people have paid a heavy price for, uh, for us. And some of them's lives were cut very short. Some of them died as a teenager still in the wars and the things over the years so as we think about this today I know Memorial Day has turned into kind of like people getting together and decorating graves of all kinds but Memorial Day was instituted for the military people who had lost their lives in battle and serving in the military and heavy prices. And of course, there's a lot of parallels to that with what Jesus certainly has done for us. Uh, but we want to reflect just for a moment on the blessings of people who've been willing to sacrifice their lives and die for us. My grandfather came home from World War II, and he wept when he told me this story. My, he didn't talk a lot. Uh, but he told me this story and, and when I was probably 12 or 14 years old, and he wept telling me the story of he was the only guy left out of his platoon, and as he made his way back from Treasure Island back to San Francisco after the war had been uh, completed. I never knew this till he told me this. He said, we came off the boat walking into the city, and he said it was like Vietnam in San Francisco. They were spitting on us, cursing. This was back in the 40s, so they were ahead of the time, I guess. Spitting on us, cursing us as we walked out of the dock into the town. And he wept as he told me that because when you've fought for those people to have the freedom to spit on you, you're hoping they won't. And you've watched a lot of your friends and people die at war. 
So we're going to recognize those guys. We're going to watch a video and remember and just reflect and have a solemn moment here of why you and I have the privilege of living in this country that we cherish today. As we get ready to praise and worship the Lord, we want to be thankful for those who have went and paid a heavy price. Nowhere was there a greater price paid than with Jesus Christ. He is still the way, the truth, and the life for all of us who call on his name. And not only for us, but for those who would yet call on his name who may be still in their sin. Jesus died for all of us. And in many ways, those men and women who died had some sense of sacrifice like that. But no greater sacrifice has ever been made than that which Jesus Christ made. And thankful for many people who have made those sacrifices for all of us to be here today and celebrate our salvation. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known to us his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of a psalm, with the trumpets the sound of a horn shout joyfully before the Lord the King let the sea roar in all its fullness in the world and those who dwell in it let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills be joyful together before the Lord for he is coming to judge the whole earth the Bible teaches us that God is a man of war or a person of war I should say he teaches us how to war, and we do that with our praise, our worship, and our devotion. Let's be thankful for today for the men and women who've laid their life down so we could be here. But let's be even more thankful for Jesus Christ, who took our place on that cross. Amen. Lord, you are good. We worship you. We come to give. Let this be a group of people that comes to give their praise, their worship, their gratitude. Let that be the kind of church we have, Lord. People who come to give. And we receive, Lord, by the runoff of that. I understand, Lord, but we should come to minister unto you as kings and priests that you've made us to recognize you. We worship you and we thank you for letting us Come behind the veil where you're at. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Give the Lord some praise. <laughs> children's Church is dismissed. The rest of you will be seated. We have a nursery next door in Children's Church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to Proverbs chapter 3, 
Uh, you can hold your spot there. I'm just going to read you a reminder here from the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, actually. This is a word he gave us. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So his encouragement is, or his command is, to set our affection on things above. I brought another book out here with me. This book has a lot of uh, things I've written over the years while attending the monastery, a place where you're not allowed to speak. And uh, so I go up there when I can and spend a few days and just talk with God and listen mostly and jot a few things down that I'm going to share some of those with you all today. Uh, some of them are from years ago when I first started going because I want to weave those together with some things here in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to dissect probably the first 12 verses. We may not get any further than that. If we do, we'll travel. But uh, the first 12 verses we want to really work with here in Proverbs chapter 3. The first thing he says, my son, do not forget my law. Basically, do not cast it aside. If there's one thing you and I should attend to, it should be God's word, his commands, right? That should be more important than your job, your health care. I didn't get one amen on that. Let me start all over. We should attend to God's word over our health care, our, our retirements, amen. our jobs, amen. or any other voice in this culture. Amen. God's word should be supreme. If you abandon God's word or neglect his word or forget as the word used here, you don't have anywhere else to go. There's nowhere else to get truth. Truth is a person. Truth cannot be altered. Facts can change in this life, but truth is a person. They cannot be altered. So I want to go through Proverbs, a few verses here, but I want to remind you of something. The Bible says the Lord remains faithful even when we're not, right? The pisteo path. I'm drawing it sideways instead of up and down this time. And I want you to know in this path is where you and I will experience God's faithfulness. Now there are people, maybe all of us at certain times in our lives, and I'm going to draw it the, the way I normally do, with stick man here going up the path. He's on a journey toward God. Let's see, make him smile. He needs to be happy. The Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. Maybe he's not upset because he's not got much hair. I don't know. So he's on his way to God. And sometimes he or she gets distracted, right? He or she being us. And we go after things out here that God doesn't intend for to be a part of our lives, or we go after them at the wrong time when God was going to intersect them into our lives at the right time. These can be create issues for us in our spiritual journey and also hardship in our natural journey as well. And what people do when they get out here, here comes the enemy, Satan, and he fills us, or at least attempts to fill us with his lies, 
right? Satan or Hasatan comes when we get distracted and he starts showing us and telling us things that are lies. And one of those lies is that God is not being faithful to you. Now how can God always be faithful and you and I not be experiencing it? You just see how. God remains faithful constantly in his path. Right? The problem is sometimes we get out of the path. Paul, the Holy Spirit said in Hebrews, let that which is lame be healed and turn back into the path. So what happens is we get distracted and we pursue things and when we get out here after those things, we have all kinds of emotions. We hear the devil's lies and the next thing that he tries to get us to buy into, God is not faithful. But God's still being faithful. The faithfulness is going on right now, even though stick man may be not experiencing it. What does he need to do? He needs to return to the path. Now that's exactly what happened. That's how this whole mess got started. Eve got distracted, right? She got distracted looking at something after something in her heart already, and then the enemy comes by, and what's he do? He starts lying to her. She gets flooded with all this deception. And just for a moment, and the Hebrew expresses this, uh, just for a moment, she used the word deceived, I think is one of our words. It means that just for a moment, Satan caused me to forget. Right? That's what happens when we sin, right? Just for a moment, we forget the consequences, we forget the price, we forget conviction, everything just for a moment. And that's what she fell into. And then they feel the fear and the dread of judgment, right? Because they run and hide, they get some fig leaves, they start covering up their shame and guilt and all of that stuff, and that's how the enemy starts working on us. And then ultimately, he gets us, if, we, if we'll go this far with him, to buy into God is not faithful. But God's continuing to be faithful in the place where he called us. You're getting ready to get a newsletter probably the next week sometime or the following week for June, and it's about Ruth. And Ruth, she and her family did not experience God's faithfulness because they left where he told them to be. And what you'll see through that story, if you go back and re read the book of Ruth, God, uh, if you read the prophets before even the book of Ruth, God said, famine's coming, but you stay in the land, stay in Israel, and I'll provide for you. For whatever reason, Naomi and her husband and her sons took off, right, to Moab and all that, thinking they would take care of themselves. And before it was done, she lost both of her sons and her husbands, and one of her daughter-in-laws wanted to stay in that place, and one came home. Now, the beauty of that is God can bring something good out of a horrible situation. We sang about that this morning. But that horrible situation didn't have to happen. Can I say it again? They left where God told them. So they weren't experiencing God's faithfulness. Naomi came back to the place and said, we better go back to where we came from. I hear, I think there's bread up there. See, God is, is going to be faithful. He's always being faithful, even though you may not be experiencing it. 
or I may not be experiencing. He remains faithful. The problem is we live in this tent of flesh and we get distracted at times. And then we start listening to the, the, the devil's lies. And we find ourselves thinking maybe, or the devil's at least whispering it, God's faithful. But he's faithful. He's faithful, and he's so faithful that he won't even veer from truth. So he told Adam and Eve, he said, if you eat of that tree, you're in trouble. Right? Don't eat of that. They did it anyway, so he held true to his word. They were kicked out of the garden, and death came upon all men. God don't, he don't, he don't mess around. He stays faithful to his word. And so we need to stay faithful to his word, and we'll experience his faithfulness, right? If we'll stay faithful to God's word, stay in that pisteo path. And that's what I want to show you here in Proverbs 3. It says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. And look at what he says the benefit of that will be. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let your heart keep my commandments, for they will provide a long life and a full life. They will add a well-being to you. You don't have anything more important on your shelf than your Bible. You don't have anything more important on your computer than the Bible. You will hand nothing off anybody in your family more important than the Word of God. I don't care how much money you got. Nothing you will give somebody will ever equate to the Word of God. And if you'll notice when David died in the Scripture, he didn't call everybody around and tell them what all they were getting. And he had plenty. He basically called around and said, I want to see you on the other side. We'll see you on the side. Make sure you follow the Lord. That's how we should be. That's what we should value. What did I read from Colossians? Set your mind on things over there. Not here. And that's a challenge. That's even a challenge for Christians because we get so motivated with self-preservation. And he says, let not mercy... And he's going to preserve us. It's his responsibility. And basically that's what he's saying there in Proverbs. The next verse says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Those people who have truth no matter what. The psalmist said, and Jephthah lived this, that he sweared to his own hurt but wouldn't change. Because it was his word. It was his word. In verse, verses of this same chapter, look at verse 21 and 24 that kind of addresses this. He says, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. So when you take God's word, His truth, and you take His wisdom, it'll keep you from stumbling. Now how many can look back over your life and saw the times when you stumbled and realized you were being stupid. <laughs> Can I use that word? Have you ever called yourself stupid? I have. have you, you remember the episode of Andy Griffith when Floyd had deceived that woman as a pen pal? 
And he was in the barber shop and he would walk over to the mirror and he'd say, you're a wretch, you're a miserable wretch. And then he'd walk back. Have you ever had that feeling? You knew better. You knew you were straying out of the path. You knew the enemy was lying to you. <clears throat> the next verse says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, does that mean all of your ways or just some of them? In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. God wants to run your show. Now here's the greatest, and I wrote this in 2014. Here's our greatest temptation. Our greatest temptation as a Christian may be to develop our own system. And to not be attentive to and be led by the Lord. To recognize ownership is to trust God our Father to provide and care for us. Surrendering our destiny to Him instead of trying to create it ourselves. Not seeking to leave a legacy of ourselves, but seeking to leave the fragrance of Christ. That's what we should be doing. But our challenge is to make our own way, especially in a culture like we live in. Verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. The Hebrew says he'll make your paths smooth. I, I, I'm going to say this. I don't think the world needs to see depressed, beat down, complaining Christians. And we won't live that way if we'll obey God and keep him first. That'll be the joy that we live by. And there's a, there's a problem with that for Christians because... The joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. If you don't have no joy, guess what's happening in your life? Your strength's giving way. That makes us more vulnerable to Satan. And why wouldn't you have joy? Isn't your husband good enough? I'm talking about in the spiritual realm. You have to work the rest of that out yourself. <laughs> but... We'll help if we can, but I mean. Uh, isn't your husband, doesn't he give you enough gifts? Does he not attend to you? Has he not given you the greatest retirement ever seen in the universe? Amen. Has he not went to prepare a place for you? You cannot, and I've been here for 30 some years... You better quit trying to get your joy out of ministry or anything else. You better get it from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because ministry or doing good or standing in the soup line will wear on anybody. You've got to understand that you're married to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're married to the great physician. Amen. You're married to the great forgiver. You're married to the one that's closer than a brother. You're married to the one who proved his love by hanging on a tree and taking all of our shame, all of our sin, and all of our guilt. You're married to the greatest husband that's ever walked the face of this earth. And we should know that and recognize that. If you're trying to get your joy out of your circumstances, you're missing the boat. 
That's not how we get our joy. We get our joy from our relationship with the Lord. And I've told you this several times over the last few years. I have grown to the place that I would rather be on a creek bank talking to Jesus or at that monastery than in this pulpit. I probably wouldn't have told you that the first five or ten years of ministry. But I've come to a place in my life, I'd rather be alone with Jesus than doing anything else. He's my husband. I'm his bride. Why would I not want to be alone with him? But some folks are uncomfortable with that because they're making their own way. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Can I tell you something? Every single system in this world is going to collapse eventually. Every single one of them. We may escape some of that as the Lord returns, but we see a lot of it collapsing already around us. We see it in other countries. We see some of that in our own country. Systems that are collapsing. And I want to say this to everybody that's listening to me. I don't care what the system is, whether it's government, education, church, religion, if God is not the center of that, it will collapse eventually. Nations don't fall just because somebody's stronger. Nations fall, if you read the scripture, because they neglect and forget God. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. And that's what we've seen throughout history. Nations that have known God, that have been in a place to receive of His hand, and then they start doing their own thing. Then they start blaming God for not being faithful. But you and I are married to the greatest husband in the universe. And that's where we get our joy. You cannot get your joy from things or even fulfillments of natural moments. You get your joy from the Lord, and that will keep your strength from giving way. And then he says in the next verse, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. The Bible says, Submit yourselves to God in the New Testament. Resist Satan and he'll be fleeing from you. How about a life where the devil's trying to get away from you instead of you trying to get away from him? Most Christians live the other way. They're always trying to get away from the devil. How about a life that's so committed and so consecrated to God that he's trying to get away from you? He don't like being around you. I know that we're all got to be careful with this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's kind of, that's where Jesus tells us not to judge. We're not the judge. We should use the scripture, handle it with skill as the Bible teaches us. But we're not the judge. We got to be careful that. And it says in the in the Hebrew says, "It will be a cure for your body." Let me read that to you that way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be a cure for your body. You cannot be a spiritual being and think that the goodness or the bad that goes on with your spirit is not affecting the rest of you. I'll guarantee you when we get to heaven, we're going to find out some things we didn't know down here. That our spiritual life may have affected 
all kinds of things that we don't recognize. Because that's the only part of you that's eternal. You're going to get a new body when you get on the other side. Everybody should say amen to that. Especially if you're over 55. Thank God for the new bodies coming, right? I'm ready to trade it in now. But you got a spirit, and your spirit man is permeating your whole life, or at least that's the desire. And the Holy Spirit's using that to work in and out of your life. And your spiritual life is having a far greater consequence on us than most of us realize. We're always looking for a cause and effect in the natural. How many remembers that woman that Jesus came by in the New Testament? She had a crooked back. She was bent over like this. Most of us would have said, mm, she's probably got, and we'd have had a list of things that's wrong with her. And we said, maybe that fifth and sixth, uh, fourth and fifth disc is out. You know, we'd had all kinds. Maybe she's got arthritis, and there's, maybe her spine is crooked. We would have come up with all kinds of ideas. You know what Jesus said? He healed her, and they challenged her on it. And he said, how can I not heal this woman whom Satan has bound for 18 years? And when you read something like that, you got to know there's always a spiritual element in everything, good or bad. We don't have any life without the spiritual element, none of us, because God is a spirit himself. So everything started with the spirit, not the flesh. God is a spirit. Everything emanates from him. So that's a challenging verse for us because we don't like to think of that because we like to think I can fix whatever's wrong. Right? But God put us in a position where we couldn't fix everything that's wrong. We have to lean on Him and trust in Him. Now, I know that wouldn't preach in a lot of churches. They'd like to tear that part of the verse out because Jesus blamed her ailment on Satan. Not an old football injury, not falling in a well. He blamed it on Satan. Now, we don't know how that all came about. We know Satan's a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy, but he blamed it on Satan. You've got to understand there's a spiritual element to your life that, is in, that can and will be impactful on every part of your being. You cannot relegate the spirit life apart from you because it dwells inside of you. And then he says, next to the line he says, Honor the Lord with all your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with the best of all you have. Here's how the Hebrew says it. Honor the Lord with the best of all your income. Bring him the best. You know why Israel got in trouble? Because they started bringing him lambs that had blemishes. Read the book of Malachi. They got in trouble because they weren't bringing him their best. The, the whole book of Malachi is about bringing God leftovers. That's what happened with Cain. That's why Cain got in trouble and he wound up killing Abel. Abel did the right thing. Cain did not. He says, so honor the Lord with your first fruits or your increase. Bring him the best. Now let me read you some things about ownership. Everything you and I have has come from God. Every single thing. So we must remind ourselves of who's in charge. We need to remind ourselves that God owns us. We may not always like that thought, but it's true. 
And here's the problem with evolution and false science. The minute God stops being the creator is the minute he stops ownership over us. If we created ourselves or if we come from an amoeba that crawled out of a pond somewhere, happened to have eyes and then grew into what we are now, if that's true, then God doesn't own us. And if God doesn't own us, he's not who he says he is. And if God's not who he says he is, why are we here this morning? So the minute God stops being the creator is the minute he stops ownership over us, at least in our minds. Then we confuse liberty with freedom and the downward spiral begins. That's what happens. You and I confuse liberty. Liberty is an external condition. Freedom is an internal condition. Paul and Silas were free even though they were in prison. Their liberties were taken away, but they were free inside. That's why when they started praising God, he showed up. He came into their moment. Recognizing God's ownership over us is imperative. When we refuse to recognize his authority over everything in our lives, we will tend to idolatry. The worst kind of idolatry. Consumed with ourselves. Abraham's the model for our devotion. He gave up everything. It is not enough to leave Egypt. We must journey to the promised land. That's the call. To recognize ownership is to trust God our Father to provide and care for us. Think about this. This is something I wrote in 2014. To recognize ownership is to trust God our Father to provide and care for us. Surrendering our destiny to Him instead of trying to create it ourselves. Not seeking to leave a legacy of ourselves, but seeking to leave the fragrance of Christ. And that's the second time I've read that to you because I know the Holy Spirit is calling us there. In the story given by Jesus, we are told about the lilies in a field. He speaks to their care by the Father and the lack, and the lack of fretting by the lilies. They don't fret. The psalmist said that fretting only causes harm. Jesus is constantly telling his followers not to fear. And that is based on, listen now, God's ability to care for us, not our own. If you're going to live a life with your own system, then you're going to battle fear constantly. Jesus invites us precisely beyond the anxiety that forever gnaws at us deep down and triggers in us the propensity to secure life for ourselves, to try to guarantee our own security, and to try to assure by our own efforts that we are lovable and significant and capable. Private prayer and private morality are one of the non-negotiable things within Christian discipleship. A life that's prayerless and claims consecration is a lie. We cannot be consecrated unless we pray. The next verses he says, in verse 11 and 12, he says, My son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the Father 
and the Son in whom He delights. So correction and discipline are part of God's way. I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 because some of these lines are restated again here in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 12. He tells us some things here that we need to understand. In verse 5, let's start in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when, the Lord, when you are rebuked by Him. Has anybody ever been rebuked by the Lord? More than twice? More than a hundred times? Two hundred? Yeah, you get the picture. I, I'm glad. I'm glad. When I played ball in high school, my coach told me to do a certain thing. I had it in my mind to do another thing. And so I did my thing. And after about three trips down the floor, the other guy scoring by me doing my thing, the coach called timeout. And this was when they could still gra grab your jersey and your father was in the stand saying, that's right, get on to him. <laughs> we didn't get injured or anything, but he grabbed my jersey and he got my attention. And he gently set me down in the seat. And he said to me <laughs> and told me what I was doing wrong, he didn't take me out of the game, neither does God do you. But I went, guess what I did when I went back out on the court? I did exactly what he said, even though in my mind it didn't make sense. What I was trying to do made more sense. Am I talking to anybody? Well, when I did what he did, the guy missed the shot. He was vindicated, and I was corrected. Sometimes God's going to step into your life and rebuke you and give you a, a new set, a new pattern to do something, and it may not make sense to you. Do you think it made sense to Jochebed to put Moses in the river and to let Pharaoh's daughter have him? And to let and this really probably busted her bubble, let him be trained in Egypt and with with the world system instead of God, quote unquote. I mean, you know all those things were going through her mind. He's not going to be learning about Jehovah. He's going to be learning about these false gods in Egypt. You know all that had to press in on her. But you know she had to be a fantastic woman of faith or she would have never put that basket in the river. That would have clipped most people's wings right there. They would have never put the basket in the river. Much less let Moses... Now, what if she'd argued all that and fought against it and kicked against the pricks like Paul was in the book of Acts and kept Moses and wouldn't give him up and hit him? There, any number of things could happen. It's just the same thing with Naomi. See, God's got a plan for all of our lives. And it may not fit what we thought. And that's why I caution parents, let God direct their path. You just put those things in the gutters where the bowling ball goes down and keep them in the path. Help do your part of that. Keep their ball out of the gutter as much as you can. But God's got a plan. All of our children don't even belong to us first. They belong to God first. 
we should be there to help assist in God's plan for their life. So we got to be careful. Look what happens when God chastens us. It gets results, right? My coach got results that he was after. And he was the one in charge. And it made life for me a lot easier the next day. My path got smoother. Remember that word we just read? For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. And He's going to get a stronger language with that in just a minute. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? In other words, He's saying anybody that's in my camp, they get chastened. So if you're one of those people who, who never get chastened, you need to get saved this morning. I can't be any more blunt than that. If you think that God never chastens you, then you need to get saved because He chastens all of those who belong to Him. Now, I know you might have had a child that was more compliant than the other, but there's no child that's 100% compliant. And if you're telling people that, you're lying to them and yourself. Because the Holy Spirit's the only one that sees everything and every parent who was a child once, know exactly what I'm saying. And then he says, But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. King James puts that a little more forceful. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect, just like I did my ball coach. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? There's a greater reason for you to have the discipline of the Lord than even the discipline of your earthly parents. That's what he's trying to get across. For they did do it for a few days, as, uh, what seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastisement seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And everybody that works in the school can tell as soon as children, not very long after they hit the, the school, they can tell whose parents have used discipline and those who've not. Pretty, pretty quick. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down, the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that that what is lame may, be uh, may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. That which is dislocated needs to be fixed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which this holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So God disciplines us to correct us, to mold us, to make us, so that we can be conformed into His image, the image of His Son. That's going to happen to every single Christian. That's how God works in our lives. He uses discipline in our lives. Now I want to read you some things about suffering that help us along our journey. Some things that I wrote, these were probably wrote in 2018. Suffering, according to Peter, helps us get cleaner and more pure, and certainly the same is being said here in Hebrews. Now according to Jesus and John, obedience... It seems to be clear that obedience is the sign of true relationship. Somebody who's obeying God, that's the sign that they're truly in a relationship with Jesus. Doesn't mean they don't fail. Doesn't mean they don't miss the mark at times. 
but their lifestyle, as Paul talks about in Hebrews, we're no longer practicing unrighteousness. Now we practice righteousness. And when we think about that, it is, and I shared this just a week or so ago, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's the test. When you run across that person says, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know if I've really given my life to Christ. There's the test. Do you obey him? Now, we got a lot of folks that claim to love Jesus that don't obey him at all. We have a lot of that in our culture. And so that is the true test. Suffering, here's some thoughts about suffering. If we do not discover why we are suffering and see it more as an unfortunate event that somehow we have fallen into by no fault of our own, maybe a product of our environment or even a random chance, then we do not master the, then we do not master the thing that has pronounced itself so aggressively and forcefully in our lives. Now you can't just blow suffering off. And you can't just blame it on natural things. Especially if you're a believer. Look into the realm of the Spirit. Open your life up to the Spirit. See why God is allowing this, right? If God's God, He may not, we know He don't cause everything, quote unquote, but He at least has to allow it. When you read Luke, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, not a spirit, speaking like a, a demonic spirit, but the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. The Holy Spirit took him out there. So what you want to do is you don't want to just blow things off. Let me read this again. If we do not discover why we are suffering and see it more as an unfortunate event that somehow we have fallen into by no fault of our own, maybe a product of our environment or even a random chance, then we do not master the thing that has pronounced itself so aggressively and forcefully into our lives. Suffering is first about discovery. We must discover if we can, uh, if we can, the source or the root of our suffering, then we may address it properly. I always say, when you run into trouble, check with the Lord first. See what's going on. See if the enemy's just being allowed in to, uh, uh, to make you stronger. See if you're neglecting something, right? See if you've made a wrong turn somewhere. Always check with God. It could be any number of things. If we run from or try to cope with our trials and suffering from our own faculties, are we missing the movement of the Holy Spirit in, our, in that thing? Whatever it is. Does God always have a purpose in suffering for us? And if He does, can we discover it by waiting upon Him? It seems to me that most suffering is viewed as a nuisance. Therefore, we run to the powers of that particular persuasion and try to get relief, right? I've heard this all my life. If you've got a headache, you can take something to mask the symptoms, but you need to find the root of it, right? Headaches come for a number of reasons. And we can take, what's that, BC powder? Anybody remember that? If we relieve ourselves of the pain, then are we not seeking the will of what's going on? In other words, if I can mask the suffering by whatever means, will that rob my attention from the work that God intends to do in me? Jesus wouldn't mask the suffering, would he? 
They tried to get him to take something for the pain. He wouldn't take it. Because he was carrying everything that you and I would face. Here's some questions I want to leave you with. How extreme should God be in making us holy? Now remember what we just read? The Bible says, without holiness, no man will see God. So how extreme should God be in making us holy if without holiness we'll not see God? If someone persists in a habitual sin, how aggressive should the Holy Spirit be in reaching that person? What would you say? If without holiness no man will see God. You think about that. If God's after you and He disciplines us and He brings us into moments where there is some suffering because He's trying to create holiness in us, He's trying to conform us in the image, how aggressive should God be? How aggressive should He be if without holiness no one's going to see God? How aggressive would you be? If your son or daughter didn't master a particular skill and you knew that if they didn't master that skill, let's say swimming. Let's say your son joined the Navy and he can't swim. And you're his parent. What would you do? I'd do everything I could to get him to learn how to swim. It really makes no sense to me, though, joining the Navy and not being able to swim. Maybe there's other problems there. <laughs> but how aggressive would you be if you knew your son or daughter was heading into a situation that if they didn't achieve a certain level of something, that it would cost them their lives? How aggressive would you be? If you and I are the sons and daughters of God, and He uses suffering and discipline and things like that, chastisement, to mold us and make us, to keep us from straying. Do you know what the lamb does? If you study John 10, you'll find that shepherds at times would break a lamb's leg because that lamb would keep doing what Stickman's doing here on this board. It would keep straying. And when the lamb would stray, he became vulnerable. He put himself at risk. The more he strayed, the more risk he would take on. And out there, Satan's roaring. He's seeking like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so stick man may be out here, or he may be out here, and he may be getting those thoughts in his mind, where's God at? Well, God's where he's always been. You stepped out of the path for whatever reason, and now the devil's coming up lying and trying to steal from us and trying to get us to not look to God and trying to actually get us, and this is what he did with Eve, to try and get us to find fault with God. Listen, if God called you to go down Highway 150 and you decide to go down another highway, you're in trouble, buddy. I, can't, I don't know what else to tell you. You're going to get in trouble. If God told you to go down 150 and you said, I'd rather go down 68, you're in trouble. You've begun to uh, off-lift some of the protection that's in your life. God means what He says and says what He means. God has perfect plans and, and things designed for each one of us. We don't get to call our own shots. And I'm going to take you back to this first thing. And I'm going to read it for the third time. Our greatest temptation as a Christian may be to develop our own system and not to be attentive to and led by the Lord. Why do you do what you did? Well, I'm, I'm going to say this and with, with the fear of being misunderstood. A lot of Christians use so-called wisdom 
to nullify them obeying God. Well, that wouldn't be wise to do that. Was it wise to stick a baby in the river that couldn't even crawl? You see, we've got God in a box and we think He don't operate outside of men's wisdom. What do you think Gideon was thinking? When he only had about a third to start with and before God was through, he had less than a, a percentage, 1% of the, other in, of the enemy. Do you think Gideon was shaking his head thinking, this, I must be hearing the wrong voice. Right? That's, but we think God does not operate outside of our set of norms for wisdom. But he does. But that's why we miss out on the supernatural a lot because we've got this set of norms for what we call earthly wisdom, man's wisdom. The Bible's full of speaking against that stuff. When our own ideas, right, this comes back to developing our own system. There's no way God would not, would, and this, this is a situation I had years ago. There's no, in a group of people was telling somebody, there's no way God wants you to go to the mission field without health insurance. I said, what? What? I was the only one in the whole boardroom that said, what? You can't lay that on them. They're here to obey God's voice. If he told them to go tomorrow, they have to go tomorrow. Those are not qualifications. If it happens, fine. But that's not how God operates. He, a lot of times we got all these other things to lean on so we don't see His power and His glory. Now, I'm preaching in some tough ground here. I understand that. But that's, that's what we got to get over. We got, I'm telling you, you're get, you and I are headed into a season in this world where these systems are going to keep getting further and further behind because we keep kicking God out of them. I don't care if it's education or what it is. We keep kicking God out of these systems. They're destined to fail when that happens. And we got to understand that God may use a system in your life, but when that system fails, He'll use something else. Nowhere do we see that any greater than Elijah. Elijah was, uh, was fed by the ravens for a while, and then he went and fed by the widow, and on and on and on. You got to put your trust and confidence in God. And a lot of people have missed God because they use so called wisdom to trumpet. Now, I'm not taking away, I'm not here to walk in anybody's shoes. I'm just trying to get you to understand when you read your Bible, there's a lot of things in that Bible that don't make sense to the natural man. Things that people, what about building a boat as big as a football field? Out in the middle of the field when it never rained. That doesn't make sense. That's not wisdom. Just build a canoe and see if it rains first. How would that have worked out? Eight people in a canoe with giraffes and everything. See, God knows what's coming. He knows what's around the corner. He knows if this economy is going to collapse or not. He knows every bit of that. And He may give you wisdom to store up. He may tell you not to store. He's done both in the Bible. But my point is, you cannot develop your own system and not allow the Holy Spirit to override your own senses. Because He does that. He does things that makes your brain mad. That's what happened to Gideon. His brain must have been mad by the time God got through. He'd probably look around, 300 guys? Man, oh man, this is insane. And then God showed up and done the work. And that's what he always wants to do. We sang about it this morning. The battle belongs to the Lord, but I'm going to get my gun anyhow. 
Now, I'm talking spiritually here. Go with me. And so you've got to understand that sometimes God is going to call you to do things to step outside of that box that you live in and I live in. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard to step into that moment when he said, Hey, just do what I've asked you to do and it'll be fine. How many times have you told that to your own children over the years? Just do what I'm telling you to do. It'll work out. That's who God is. We live by faith, not by sight. So we've got to be careful not to allow wisdom, earthly, manly wisdom, fleshly wisdom, I should say. I don't know what manly wisdom. Fleshly to override God's call on our life, His commandment to do something, to step out into that moment. And I'm concerned that the modern church is missing out on more of the supernatural power of God because we won't put our baby in the river. That just don't make sense. It don't make sense. It don't make sense to hang a scarlet thread in the window and your family will be saved. It don't make sense to build the boat in the middle of the field. It don't make sense to get ready to go to battle and send the guys out with the shofars and the drums and the harps in front. I bet they wouldn't feel that either. I bet the guys with the harps and the flutes and the shofars and whatever else they played back then were thinking, how did this happen? We're usually in the back. How did we get put out in the front? But that was God's instruction. Let me tell you what that'll do for you. If you yield to him in those extreme moments, and there'll be some, you may miss them. But they'll be there. If you yield to him, it will increase your faith and your love for God so much, it will thrust you forward spiritually. What do you think Amram was, or Jochebed was feeling a few days later? She was probably walking like George Jefferson used to on the TV. Hey, hey, not only is my son in the richest house, being raised in the richest house in the whole world, but I get to be his nurse. And they're paying me to be his nurse. You see what would, she would have missed out on if she'd have tried to hide him? But when God showed up and said something totally crazy, how many Israel, Israeli women do you think were hiding their children in a cell or somewhere? Or in a well? Or wherever they could hide them? And this woman, can you imagine the talk in the community? She's stupid. She's committing suicide with her son. What's she thinking? She wouldn't. She just took God at his word, put her faith on it, hung her body and Moses' body, and said, I'm trusting you over everything else. Her brain would not have allowed that to happen. Her intellect, now I'm getting somewhere and then I'm going to close. Her intellect would not have allowed that to happen. But those rivers that flow out of our belly, that are from the Holy Ghost, that fill our lives, that connect us to God and heaven. Do you know that we have access to heaven because the Holy Spirit lives in us and is connected? We have the greatest resource in the universe. Nothing can come close. You can't put all the resources of men from every sector together and they still do not have the
the Holy Spirit. Jochebed was a faithful woman, and God rewarded her faithfulness, right? He made her path smooth. She got paid to change her own son's diapers, and that is a great story. Let's stand to our feet. God is after you. Is there anything wrong with that? God's after you. He may use some extreme measures to get to you and I or to mold us, to make us. But you know who I want to be like? I want to be like Jochebed. That's the person I want to be like. I want to be like her. I want to have that kind of faith that overrides my intellect, my wisdom, and everything else that I think I'm good at. Right? Because we get to that point in our lives a lot of times that we think we've mastered certain things. But Jesus Christ is above all of that. It's not your intellect that God's impressed with. It's faith is what God wants to see coming out of us. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the men and women that have laid their lives down, that we had the freedom to be here this morning. More than that, we thank you, Jesus, for laying your life down so that you said if you didn't go back to the Father, that we couldn't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because of that, Lord, we have access to heaven. We have insight into things that have not even happened yet. You said that the Holy Spirit would teach us all truth, guide us into all truth, show us things to come. And we've seen so much of that, Lord. Lord, I just want to be a servant. I'm not here to bring you some new ideas. I'm not here to come and just want stuff. I want to be like David. I don't want to, it's your, I'm not here to seek your hand, Lord. It's your face I want to see. I'm married to the greatest groom in the universe, Lord. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're my husband. That you are here, Jesus, to guide and lead so that we don't have to develop our own system, but we can lean on you and trust in you. I love you, and you mean more to me than anything else in this world. And I want you to know that this morning. I want you to know that I'm thankful as I stand with these people, and I want all of them to be thankful, Lord. You're the greatest thing it's ever happened in my life. You caused me to be able to sleep at night without any fear or reservation. You caused me not to fear men or trouble or things going on in the world. You caused me to have hope without a question mark of eternal life and the things to come. Your joy in my life is the greatest thing in me, Lord. And I pray that over everybody that hears the sound of my voice this morning. Everybody's in this building or watching this video live or gets this podcast. I pray that every one of them will know that the greatest joy in life is knowing you as their father and having you, Jesus, the son, as our groom and being equipped with the wonderful Holy Spirit so that we may have the fullness of life our joy if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus we invite you to step out from where you're at maybe you're here and you're about to make a big decision and fear's trying to push you around and the Lord's leading you a direction 
You need to step into that. Come, pray, and let your faith be increased. Whatever you need, healing, anything in your body, your mind or your spirit, come this morning as we worship.